Hello, I'm Mike, and welcome to my book corner. Of him who found out all things, I shall tell the land. Of him who experienced everything, I shall tell the whole. He searched lands everywhere. He who experienced the whole and gained complete wisdom. He found what was secret and uncovered what was hidden. So begins the Epic of Gilgamesh, arguably the oldest surviving piece of literature. Dating back to approximately 4,000 years ago, it tells the story of a tyrannical king, Gilgamesh, who must come to terms with the inevitability of death and learn how to rule with compassion. The text comes to us from the ancient civilization of Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. The word Mesopotamia means between two rivers, in this case, the Tigris and the Euphrates. The Mesopotamians built the first cities, housing thousands of people, and created some of the first writing on clay tablets. This writing was written in cuneiform script, which was invented by the Sumerians, who resided in southern Mesopotamia. One of the most famous cities in Sumer was Uruk, which is where our story takes place. Coming to us, much like the works of Homer over a thousand years later from the oral tradition, this is a fragmentary and archaic work that can sometimes sound alien to modern readers. As is often the case with such works, it is very important to select a good translation. I have a lovely little paperback by Oxford World Classics called The Myths from Mesopotamia, translated by Stephanie Daly. This edition contains a copious amount of notes and introductions and includes several other poems from The Land Between Two Rivers. Before we dive into the text itself, it is worth pointing out this is an ancient work of epic poetry, written by a civilization that has much in common with our own, but is also very different. This is a world where women were not always treated with respect and honor and glory were the chief pursuits of men. This is also an autocracy where the mightiest warrior gets to rule as king. No elections, no votes. This is not a world with upward social mobility or a world where different cultures get to share the same space equally. As such, if one is looking for a work that reflects contemporary social concerns, particularly with what's going on in the wider world at the moment, this is not the place to look. If, however, you are interested in looking at a work of immense historical and literary value on its own terms, and to take it on its own context, then we can proceed accordingly. The Epic of Gilgamesh, in just a few moments. Welcome back. Now, on to the story. Gilgamesh is a tyrannical king, a man whose strength and courage have enabled him to reach the highest role in the land, a role he does not fulfill responsibly. The people are helpless against this wicked ruler, so they resort to the last option they have left. They pray. This being a polytheistic religion, there are many gods, these gods send a rival to calm Gilgamesh, Enkidu, a wild man formed from clay. Enkidu is more beast than man, until he lays with a prostitute, Shamhat, for six days and seven nights. At the end of this week of lovemaking, he is humanized and chooses to live in the city rather than remain in the wild with the animals. It is worth noting that a prostitute was a much revered position in Mesopotamian society, 
akin to something more like a high priestess. It's also worth remembering something fundamental to understanding this text. It predates the Bible. Regardless of your religious affiliation, the Bible has had an undeniable influence on much of Western civilization through the ages, including literature. It's exciting to read a text that predates this influence and to note how different our attitudes to sex were back then. In Sumer, sex was not seen as something shameful or disgusting, but an essential part of the human experience. Something that unites us with our fellow human beings and fills our hearts with love. So, Enkidu, now humanized, goes to Uruk and meets Gilgamesh. Both are immensely strong and courageous. In other words, your typical hero archetype. This being a society where one skill at fighting was everything, these two quickly become firm friends. In fact, they're more like brothers than friends. Soulmates, you might say. Some scholars have interpreted their relationship as sexual, much as many have done with Achilles and Patroclus in the Iliad, but it's inconclusive. Either way, they're close, and that's all that matters for the story. Eventually, our two heroes set off on a quest to kill the monster Humbaba. I want to share with you the description of this magnificent beast, Humbaba, whose shout is the flood weapon and whose utterance is fire. Did you hear that? That's the kind of melodramatic, vivid, exciting, over-the-top imagery that one can only find in an ancient epic or something that's purposefully imitating it. It sounds just like something out of one of the best Conan stories. So, our two warriors slay the beast, and then the story takes a turn. Gilgamesh is accosted by a beautiful princess called Ishtar, who wants to marry him. The problem is, she has a tendency to brutally murder her husbands. Gilgamesh, understandably, doesn't want to be the next in line, so he refuses Ishtar's proposal. Angered, she summons the Bull of Heaven to strike Gilgamesh down. However, Gilgamesh and Enkidu slay this beast as well. So the gods mark Enkidu down for death, which he himself prophesizes in a dream. He is sad to leave his friend, but he's particularly aggrieved not to have the glory of dying in battle. A great shame for an ancient warrior. Gilgamesh is utterly distraught. After giving a funeral lamentation of great emotion, he becomes afraid of death and goes in search of the secret to immortality. After a long search, he finds the survivor of a great flood, considered to be a possible precursor to the biblical Noah and his wife. After surviving the great flood, which is recounted in full in the poem Atra Hasis, also available in this book, the gods granted this man and his wife immortality. Gilgamesh begs them to tell them their secret. The man warns him that our mortality is what gives our life meaning and purpose, but agrees to give Gilgamesh all the secrets if he can do one thing. He must conquer sleep. If you can't conquer sleep... How can you possibly conquer death? So he says if Gilgamesh can stay awake for six days and seven nights, then he will help give him the secret to immortality. 
Ultimately, Gilgamesh succumbs to his human frailties and soon falls sound asleep. The man tells him it is our lot in life to die, and he and his wife are a one-off, an exception never to be replicated. Gilgamesh is no more special than anyone else, as he has the same weaknesses as the rest of us. So, the king returns to Uruk with a new appreciation for the fragility of human life, the pain of death, and a new dedication to become a more benevolent and compassionate ruler. Although this is an ancient work from a long-dead civilization, there are some notable parallels to our modern world. The fear of death and the pain of grief are universal, and things we must all come to terms with. It is also interesting to note that this is a work about an autocratic ruler learning how to serve the people. In this divisive age, where many people don't think their politicians have their best interests at heart, here is a 4,000-year-old book that explores the same idea. Although it is short, the Epic of Gilgamesh can be a challenging read due to its fragmentary nature. One must go in knowing there are sections missing, and others incomplete. Still, the story is easy enough to follow, and it is a work that rewards the patient. A work of profound insight into the human condition and featuring a hero who goes on an impressive spiritual and emotional journey. This is a book that will appeal to anyone with an interest in ancient stories or history. A reminder of what it is to be human and how important it is to understand that we must take the bad as well as the good in life as they shape us into who we are meant to be. So, that was the Epic of Gilgamesh. I hope you enjoyed our first full-length episode. Please support the show by following me on Twitter at at Mike's Great Books. Feel free to email me at mikesgreatbooks at outlook.com. You can also find our Facebook page by typing in Mike's Great Book Corner in the search bar. This podcast is now available on Spotify, Pocket Casts, Anchor, and should soon be available on Apple Podcasts as well. I'm in the process of setting up a Patreon for anyone that's considering supporting the show further. As this is my first ever episode, I would love to hear your feedback. Please get in touch. I look forward to hearing from you. Well, that's all for now. We'll be back next week with a look at Homer's Iliad. Stay tuned and keep reading. <laughs>